Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 38 of Rookie Mistakes. And I was a bad boy last week because I did not record an episode for whatever reason. I was just in a weird place and I was not feeling it. So shame on me. I skipped an episode. But last week was supposed to be about Venice. And so we will be doing that on this week's episode. But first, I wanted to get into a documentary before I start talking about Venice because I watched this documentary last night and it was really an amazing documentary, a very thrilling and intense documentary. If anyone knows about Alex Honnold, he has been making the rounds lately the last few months in the news and then also with this documentary. He is a free solo rock climber who climbed this rock formation, which is called El Capitan, El Cap for short and what's so impressive about this feat is that he is the first person to ever climb this rock and it is also i want to say one of the hardest rock formations to climb in the world so he's the first to do it and just watching this documentary last night this is honestly one of the craziest documentaries i have ever watched i want to say it's one of the most impressive achievements by an individual in the history of humanity. I don't really know what else you can compare it to. Obviously, there's been a lot of people in the history of the world that have been that have done amazing things, but really think about that for a second. He free solo climbed the most difficult rock formation in the world and he's the only one who's ever done it. For those that don't know, I guess I should mention what free solo climbing is. It's when you rock climb without any rope or harness. So you're literally just climbing up the side of a mountain. And if you make a mistake, the result is death. There's no other way about it. There's no, there's nothing, there's no safety harness. There's no parachutes. There's nothing. It's just you, some chalk on the back of your belt, and then you in the mountain. And yeah, people, people do this apparently. I've been getting into this the past few weeks, just learning about rock climbing and more specifically free soloing. It is one of the craziest things I think I have ever seen. I don't think I will ever do anything like that. I can't even imagine myself doing anything like that. It was really interesting because as you can imagine, Alex is a little bit of an eccentric figure. I have definitely gotten used to him, I would say, in the last few weeks watching all these different interviews with him and stuff but and I think also the documentary really highlighted him but I remember when I first saw an interview with him thinking he was kind of like a robot and he definitely does have a little bit of more of a personality that you will see in the documentary but it was fascinating because at one point in the documentary they take him to get an MRI to see if his brain composition is different than the average person. And what they actually found was that he does not experience any type of fear. There's no fear response in his brain. So as you could imagine, when you're climbing a freaking mountain, fear of heights is a very common fear with people. And just imagine how sickening and fearful and just, I can't even, I don't even know what to say, stressed out and anxious you would feel if you were climbing a mountain. And so it makes sense then for him, who's such a great free solo climber, it makes sense that he literally just doesn't have any fear response. Like that part of his brain doesn't even activate at all. So that was interesting and that made a lot of sense. And then also I think what I also liked about the documentary, it's something that was really just interesting to just think about just a different point of view, was that he does have a girlfriend and I can't imagine being with someone, whether it's a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, a wife, imagine being with them and they do something in their lives, whether it's their profession or hobby, what they do is something that can end in them dying. I mean, there's plenty of professions like that, but this, this one is like, it's just, I think it's different because he, he, at one point of the documentary when he's finally getting ready to climb. I think he decides he's going to do it the next day. This this L cap, he's going to finally climb the the uh, rock. And it's so weird saying it's a rock too, because it's a gigantic rock, right? It's almost like a mountain, but it's not. So it, this huge rock formation, which is in Yosemite, just for reference, they're saying goodbye the night before he's going to do it. And just watching that, you could tell like this Like they're literally having an interaction right now that could be the last interaction they ever have together. And it's because he wants to climb this 
this mountain or this rock. And it was just, it was just so weird to me because they kind of just, you know, said like, bye. And she said, good luck. And they hugged and like, that was it. And that could have been potentially the last interaction they ever had together. And that's just, that was just so crazy to me. And you could tell too, after the, the girlfriend left, her name is Sani, I believe. And you could just tell like how torn up she was and she was trying to be strong because she knew that he, you know, basically needed to be able to focus and he didn't have to have all these other factors where he had to worry about because if he was put into a different mental space to where he wasn't like 100% focused on the task the next day, that could easily result in him dying. So for her to have to do that, it was just, I don't know, it was just so crazy to me that she was able to do that. And then what was funny too is watching this documentary, obviously I know that he completed the climb right because there's been all this press ever since then and the documentary came out and so he was successful right but even though i knew what the result was still watching him do it at the end of the documentary i was sweating i was shaking i like i just couldn't i i kept thinking like oh my god what if he falls off and dies and it was just so intense what was interesting too is the fact that normally when he free solo climbs all these different rock formations everywhere, he's always done it alone. He's never had anyone with him. And so for him to do this, this ultimate feat, this thing that he's, you know, built up to in his life to where he wants to accomplish this. And this is like the goal that he has. And for him to be the first person to ever do it, think of the added pressure of having people around filming you at one point in the documentary, I think it's towards the middle of it. He is getting ready to do the climb. And like while he's doing the climb, he just decides he doesn't want to do it. Like he basically backs out. And so it ends, he ends up doing it like way down the line later, but it was because he was just, he felt the pressure and he didn't like all these people watching him. And so what he basically said is he wanted it to get to a point where he was so perfect and he was so confident in everything. Like he memorized all the moves and he was just so comfortable that he wouldn't have to worry about anyone. And I guess that's how he felt because he was able to do it still with people documenting him actually climbing it. And that was the thing throughout the whole documentary was whether or not he was going to let them film it. They kept telling him like, if you don't want us to film you actually doing it, we don't have to. And So for him to actually do this climb and then for it to be caught on film and like, I just, I just, it blows my mind. And then when he finally does it and he like gets to the very top, he's a very mellow, reserved guy. And like I said, he's kind of a little bit eccentric and you can just tell when he gets to the top, like he's like a completely different person. He, he's so happy and he's just so, I think, relieved and just so he, it's just, he looks alive. I think that's the best way of putting it. Like he looks totally and completely alive and like in his element. And so to see that, like that change from having this goal and then being able to achieve it, that was really awesome to see. I got goosebumps for like three minutes straight, just at the end. Like when he finally gets to the top, I literally had goosebumps and it was just, it was just honestly one of the best documentaries I think I've ever seen. And I think why it's just so good is because of the story of it and like what he was able to accomplish and still just thinking about it. I have such a hard time wrapping her around what he did. Like, think about that, everyone. He climbed a freaking rock formation without any ropes. And if you end up screwing up, you die. I cannot think of anything more impressive than that or anything that takes that much focus and I, I don't know. Just please watch this documentary. If you like documentaries, this is definitely one to check out. It's called Free Solo. At one point in the documentary too, someone basically sums it up, I think, perfectly saying that it's like him trying to get a gold medal in the Olympics, but if he doesn't get the gold medal, he dies. Think about that, right? Think of how hard it is to get a gold medal in the Olympics, the best of the best in whatever event it is in the entire world, and you train your whole life for it. And In the Olympics case, you know, maybe you don't get the gold medal and you end up caving under pressure maybe or someone just does better than you. But in the case with Alex, it's like if you mess up at all, if you're not perfect, then you're dead. One thought I had too with that is it seemed like his his upbringing, obviously, you can imagine is it was probably pretty different than your normal everyday family, right? And I guess I should mention as well is like, I said he's kind of a bit of a weirdo and why he's a little bit of a weirdo is 
he lives in a van, okay, and he is like vegetarian, which doesn't make you worry. And I'm not saying that or anything like that, but he's like this vegetarian guy that lives in this van and he has like a few pairs of clothes and he showers in like these community showers that I guess are in parks and like that's how he cleans his clothes and he's just just everything he does it's all centered around climbing and that's when he feels the most alive and he's this very you know like awkward kind of reserved guy and I guess growing up he was raised to be a perfectionist like he was talking about how with his mother his his mother basically has never really said anything is ever good enough. And so he kind of fe- has always felt that way. And I thought like this is kind of an extreme example of him choosing something where he's a perfectionist, right? And I think perfection in general is something that's really not something you can achieve. Think of art, music, sports, even sometimes all those things are things things that are subjective and so perfection is you know it's not there's this universal thing where everyone's like yes this is like the perfect thing right it's all subjective people like different things and so I think with with rock climbing and maybe if I thought about it more there'd be more examples of this that are like rock climbing but what he's doing is I think something where he can achieve perfection because like I said before if he if he doesn't do everything perfectly the result is that he dies and so I wonder if growing up with this pressure to be a perfectionist or like never feeling like anything's good enough right from his parents I wonder if that's kind of driven him to to what he's doing now with free solo climbing because it is something where you have to be perfect and so if you are able to do it then like that high and that that I think sense of achievement you probably get from doing something like that I think that maybe there's something to it I don't know I would really love to like meet him and be able to ask him that because I just I don't know I don't know what else to say I'm kind of speechless honestly there I have no other words just once again go check out that documentary I talked I talked way too long about this I was not expecting to talk that long but yeah the documentary is called free solo so go watch it it's amazing I don't even know what's next for him honestly because I don't I don't I just can't see what what other achievement greater than that he can do and and maybe this is the end of his free solo climbing career because now he's got the girlfriend right he's got the steady girlfriend they've been dating a long time and so maybe he's ready to settle down I do not know it's just really fascinating it's he's a great he's a great just individual just a person to you know kind of learn about and see like people like this really exist and it really goes to show what humans are capable of with He's basically like a freaking monkey climbing up a a, uh, a rock formation. Like, I don't even think a monkey could do what he's doing. And a human being can do something like that. So super impressive. And let's get into Venice now. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you will know that I was not the biggest fan of Venice. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And... I think the reason why I didn't like Venice so much was because I had gone to Rome and then Florence and Venice after those two. So I was just super blown away by Rome and then Florence was also incredible. And so to get to Venice to know it is this very unique city. There's no other place like it on earth. It is a freaking city on the water. I think I just had really high expectations for it. And so when I finally got there, I wasn't really blown away by it. And I didn't think it was anything super special. And everyone I talked to as well that was there in my hostel, they didn't think it was that great either. They kind of thought it sucked. And I think I think Venice is a place you definitely want to see at some point in your life, especially now with what's been happening there. If you did not know, I think either a month ago at this point, maybe a few weeks ago, Venice had really bad flooding. I think it was some of the worst it's had in a very long time. And it it was to the point where like a lot of buildings were severely damaged and then people couldn't really get around. And that really messed with the tourism for that time period. So it's getting to the point now where Venice, obviously being a city on the water, it might not be a city for very long. I read an article today I think best case scenario, Venice doesn't exist in 80 years, and in 50 years, a lot of it will be underwater already. I mean, you're definitely going to want to visit Venice then if that's the case, so book your tickets to Venice. I was there for five days, and I think 
you definitely don't want to be there for that long. That was way too long. There aren't that many things I think worth seeing in Venice. So you're not going to need a ton of days to be in Venice. And with that, let's get into it. As always, we will start with the places to see in Venice. And what I did with this one, which is different from the other travel guides I did, is I put places that I think you should see and then places I think you can skip. And I saw all of these places, but I definitely think a lot of them are not worth it. And if you're crunched for time, if you're maybe bummed out that you might miss one of these places then I think you don't really need to worry about it. So just take that with a grain of salt. The first place you must see is the Piazza San Marco. That's the St. Mark's Square. That's really the center point of Venice. A lot of the places that you're going to want to go to are all located either in St. Mark's Square or right next to it. So that's like the Palazzo Ducali, which is the Doge's Palace. That is the Bridge of Sighs. That is the... Campanile di San Marco, which is the San Marco Tower. So that is the central location. What I will say about this square is beware of the pigeons. There are more pigeons in this location than I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It it is so bad. Like I'm I'm being completely serious. There are so many pigeons that you actually have to be careful that one of them doesn't hit you while they're flying away. So you really want to be paying attention when you're in this square. This is the area of Venice that floods heavily. Even if you're there and there's not really any bad flooding, with the tides rising, generally that will be where the water is kind of a little bit too much to where you can't walk through the square. So what you'll see there, if this is the case, is there's a lot of raised platforms that are put out all throughout the square so that people can just walk above the water and get like across to the other parts of Venice. I swear with the pigeons, you'd think that was like the pigeon capital of the world. If the, if the pigeons had a capital for their city or like a capital city, that would be it. It would be St. Mark's Square in Venice because there are so many freaking pigeons. It's a little bit disgusting, to be honest. I was not a fan. And then with all the people walking around and like, ugh, it was... It was interesting. It was an experience to say the least. The next place you want to go to, and this I think was my favorite place definitely, was the Palazzo Ducali, the Doge's Palace. That's right in St. Mark's Square. It's gigantic. It was also the seat of the Venetian government. It is a beautiful place, totally worth seeing. I went on my first day and there was no line or anything. Usually there's a really long line, so keep that in mind when you're planning your trip. But I was able to get in really fast. I think it was the best part of Venice, hands down for me. It's gigantic. There's so many great rooms that you can see in the palace that are just absolutely breathtaking because of just the sheer magnitude of how big these rooms are. It blows my mind that there's rooms that were this big in some of these palaces. So that's definitely a highlight of venice another thing you're going to want to see is the ponte di rialto this is a famous bridge i'm sure if you look up venice you'll see photos of it everywhere this is a great photo opportunity quick thing to see you can walk over it another bridge really famous is the bridge of size and this you will see i think more photos than you would with the rialto bridge You'll see these all over Venice, the Bridge of Size. If you go on my Instagram and you look through the Venice photos, I have a picture of that right near the St. Mark's Basilica. So it's once again close. The next places I would recommend, and this is going to be your personal preference, okay? So the Campanile di San Marco, the tower right in the square. When you climb that, you get a gorgeous view of Venice. I didn't end up doing this because the lines were too long and I also didn't really want to pay for it, even though it wasn't that expensive to be honest, but the lines were absolutely outrageous. So I just didn't end up doing it, but it is online to skip the lines. You can pay 13 euros for adults and then nine euros for kids. And then if you don't want to pay online or pay any extra money, it's eight euros to just wait in line. And I think you can buy tickets when you, you know, you go there in person. That's an option if you are dead set on doing that. Another option as far as views go, and this is something people aren't really aware of. This one's a little bit low key. This is an insider tip for people. So there is a church. It's called San Giorgio Maggiore, and that's S-A-N. G-I-O-R-G-I-O and then M-A-G-G-I-O-R-E. This is a church and they have a bell tower and 
From there, you can see a view of all of Venice. So you get to see, instead of seeing mostly the buildings in the heart of Venice, what you're seeing at, from this view is you're seeing Venice spread out across the water and you're seeing all the different islands. This is another photo I have on my Instagram. I'm sure it would be really easy to find actually if you scrolled through it. It's only six euros for this view. It's very, very secret. Like I said, not a lot of people go there. There were people there, but it was not crowded by any means. It was super easy and you're able to stay up there as long as you want. There's no fencing or anything up there. So you could get perfect photos. There's no windows you have to worry about. So you can actually get like an open aired view for photos and just like being able to experience, you know, like the great breezes and the fresh air. So it's a very awesome thing. Looking back on it, I thought that's the San Giorgio Margiori view that was hands down way better than the Campanile di San Marco view. But now that I've been looking at photos lately of the Campanile di San Marco view, it is pretty breathtaking, I will admit. So if you can do that, then I think you should. I didn't do it, but I would definitely do it if I went back. So Keep that in mind if it is too much of a hassle to do the Campanile in St. Mark's Square, if there's too many people, if the lines are way too long, which honestly, these lines are pretty terrible, then the one I mentioned is always an option. The next place I would recommend, and this is the last one that I did. This is a famous photo of the canal. It's the Grand Canal, two-mile stretch of water with buildings on both sides. It's gorgeous. That's where you'll see all the gondolas. It's a very wide body of water, and you'll just walk over a bridge back and forth to different parts of the city, and then you can see this canal. Really easy, really quick. Definitely want to get a photo there. I think that's that one is, I think, the most famous photo. The one you'll see the most of Venice is the photos of the Grand Canal. I've seen so many different paintings of it as well, so many different photos and art museums. It's funny because I have the exact same photo that's in some of the art museums, which I thought was interesting because it's like, well, if they're the same photo, like couldn't either or couldn't either one be in in this museum? You know what I'm saying? So that is one thing you're gonna want to check out. Two other things you can do, which are on different islands. One's called Murano. That's M-U-R-A-N-O. You can do a trip to that part of Venice. And then Burano is the other one. That's B-U-R-A-N-O. So Murano is famous for glass making. So that's a great place to get souvenirs for people if you are looking to do that. Beautiful glass. I didn't end up going to that one, but there are tours that you can do that I think include Murano as well as doing something else in Venice. So keep your eyes out for that. And then Burano, this is another one where you'll see a lot of Instagram photos. A lot of people will post stuff about this. Burano is basically rows of colored houses. So they just think of houses and they're all different brightly colored houses, yellow, blue, purple, pink, like all the different colors. It is a really cool photo that you can get if you end up going there. I did not go to either of these places, but those are two islands that are very popular with people. As far as the places to skip, and these are all places I went to, so I have done I have done the dirty work for everyone. Museo Corre. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's what we're going to say. C-O-R-R-E-R -R -E -R is the museum name. So I thought this was not worth it at all. I wrote in my notes, underwhelming. It's right in the St. Mark's Square as well, so it is easily accessible, but I think it's definitely a thing you can skip out on. The Palazzo Fortuni, eight euros, and I thought it was one floor, but it ended up being three this one was a nightmare to get to. It took me forever to find, and I just didn't think it was worth the eight euros because it was such a small museum, and it was a lot of modern art where I felt like it just wasn't really something that I wanted to see. I thought it was a little bit of a waste of time, and yeah, I definitely wish I got my money back on that one. Another one, it's called Sa Rezenico. That's C-A-R-E-Z-Z-I-N-I-C-O, and then Sa Pissarro. That's another one. These are both museums. I didn't think they were worth it. So that's C-A-P-E-S-A-R-O. If you're familiar now with Venice, you'll probably have noticed that I didn't mention one place yet. And this is the highlight of Venice for a lot of people. This is very popular. There's a ton of people that go here. You'll see the longest lines for this place. And it, it is St. Mark's Basilica. 
This is the church in the middle of St. Mark's Square. And what you will see is you will see people in this huge line waiting for the tour there. And then you will also see on the actual St. Mark's Basilica, like at the very top level, you can see people on a balcony and they can actually look out onto the square. So that's something that's pretty cool as far as a view goes. But what I really did not like about this place was that I did a tour and I used headout.com. So keep that in mind for this tour. I thought it was a complete waste of time. We went on a guided tour into the Basilica. We did a entrance into the side. So we didn't actually have to wait in line, which is nice. So it was a timed entry and the tour was pretty terrible. All you do is you go inside of the Basilica and then you go sit down and then the tour guide talks to you about it. And you kind of just look around. I have to be honest. I thought the... The Basilica was just really ugly because it was of the Byzantine influence. So it was not your traditional like Italian influence, like the architecture that you're used to going to like places like Rome and Florence and seeing all the different churches. It was completely different. It was gold and dark color. Like every single thing inside it was just really ugly. I felt I just didn't think it was worth it. There are two things that really rubbed me the wrong way with this tour. So after we visited the inside of the Basilica, there is supposed to be a part of the tour where we saw the treasury and then the Pala d'Oro, which is an altar, I guess, in the Basilica. It's supposed to be really famous. And that's just another room that you get to see. They didn't tell us that the Pala d'Oro, for whatever reason, was not open at the time. So that was something we did not get to do. And then as we were leaving, there were two lines. Okay. And one of the lines was to just leave. And then the other line was to go higher up into the Basilica. And that is where you would go if you wanted to go to the balcony on the outside where you could get the view of St. Mark's Square. That was a really long line in and of itself. And what they make you do with the tour is you have to put all of your stuff that you're carrying with you in a cloakroom. And the thing that I thought that was just really frustrating about that was that they only held your stuff in the cloakroom for an hour and then they were going to remove it. So I just thought like, how are you supposed to go upstairs when there's this huge line when you only have an hour with your stuff? So we did the tour, right? Like the at the bottom level in the Basilica and then... There was basically no time left over to do the to go up and see the balcony and see the rest of the basilica. So I just thought that was kind of dumb where I didn't get my money's worth. The tour guide didn't really have anything like interesting to say. The tour was 24 euros and I just thought it was a complete waste of money. It definitely wasn't worth it. You're also not supposed to take any photos inside the Basilica. People do. I will tell you that they, <laughs> of course they do take photos and it's not really enforced super heavily. Like if someone sees you taking a photo, they'll tell you to stop. But most of the people working there aren't paying attention. So you could definitely sneak photos as you're walking by. Just keep that in mind. I didn't do it myself because I'm a good little boy, but I didn't do it myself because I follow the rules, of course. But yes, it is an option if you do want to take photos. If you just absolutely have to take a photo, then you can sneak one. Overall, I just thought the tour was a waste of time and money. And I definitely don't think you'll miss out if you happen to not have the opportunity to go to the Basilica for whatever reason. If you can't get a tour or the lines are just too long then I wouldn't worry about it. You're really not missing out on much. So keep that in mind with the Basilica St. Mark's. Moving on to the food. One thing that kind of bummed me out about Venice was that the food wasn't that great. A lot of the food there seems to be catered more towards fast food in the sense of that a lot of the places you can go, it's just really quick meals and there's a lot of places that have to go. And so most of what I ate was just a lot of pizza and pasta. There weren't that many great restaurants that I really found. So that was kind of a bummer, but a few places you're going to want to check out. There's this place called Dal Moros Fresh Pasta to Go. That's D-A-L-M-O-R-O-S. And this is I think the most famous place as far as food goes in Venice, you'll see people walking around with these cartons or these containers of pasta. 
and that is Del Moro's. So kind of like in Florence where you see people walking around with paninis everywhere, you'll see people walking around with this pasta and the lines are pretty long. I thought the food was good, but I didn't think for how popular the place was, it was anything super special. I thought they put way too much sauce on the pasta and then they also put a way too much parmesan cheese so if you are gonna go i'm warning you now you're gonna want to tell them to take a chill pill on the sauce you don't want that much sauce and then the parmesan cheese you're also gonna want to tell them to just put a little bit on less is definitely more at this place i had the bolognese and then squid ink pasta that was the first time i ever had squid ink pasta it was interesting i was not expecting it to taste the way it did it almost tasted like just you know marinara sauce to be honest and yeah i thought it was it was good pasta it wasn't that expensive so it is also a quick meal where you can walk around eating it once again though i didn't think it was out of this world or anything like that for how popular it was a little bit overrated in my opinion the next place this place is quick. If you're looking for a quick bite to eat, something on the go, there's a pizza place called Antico Formo. And this place doesn't really have any seating. There's just little areas where you can stand and eat. Otherwise, you could just take it, like I said, to go and just walk around eating it. This seems to be pretty popular in Italy. I saw a few places like this in Rome. I saw this in Venice. And it's thick slices of pizza that were already made. And then you just have the option to select what you want everything's already out and then they heat it up and it was pretty good pizza i will admit so if you're looking for a quick bite to eat that's an option another pizza place i went to it's called pizza al volo that's a l v o l o i like this place because they had the option to get a slice of pizza for two euros and these pizzas were already out so keep that in mind they're already made or you can have a pizza made for you and that's what I did. So I got a whole small margarita pizza, which was pretty decent size, honestly, for how much it cost. It was only five euros. And then they also have a bunch of other different pizzas that you can get for 550. Not bad at all. It is cash only, so keep that in mind. But that seemed to be the case with Venice is I would say <laughs> if you're on a budget or you're traveling alone, whatever the whatever the case, they seem to have a lot of really cheap options for food and a lot of quick options. So that was nice on the one hand. On the other hand, I didn't eat anything that absolutely blew me out of the water. The place that blew me out of the water to the most is this next place. It's called the Rosso Pomodoro. This is actually a global restaurant, which I wasn't aware of. And that made me kind of question why I thought it was so good because generally, I don't know, I just thought with being in Italy for a restaurant that was global or it was all over the world, I just didn't expect it to be as good as it was. So this is a place where you can get pasta, salad, pizza. I had a pizza from this place and it was definitely one of the best pizzas I had in Italy, which once again, I just wasn't expecting that. I had a pizza called the Capria Chiosa, which I have no idea how to pronounce that. If I remember correctly, it had ham, olives, artichoke, and basil on it. And it was really, really good. That's another one. If you go on my Instagram, you can see the photo of that. Like I said, one of the best pizzas I had in Italy. I love that. I would recommend checking out that restaurant. For gelato, this was top three gelato I had in all of Italy. As I mentioned in the Rome episode, I became a gelato connoisseur because I ate so much gelato. I think I probably had close to 15 different gelato shops in all of Italy when I was in Florence, Rome, and Venice. This one was to die for. It's called Suso Gelato. That's S-U-S-O Gelato. This one you have to go to if you're going to Venice and you are going to have gelato. You need to go here. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is the place I'm telling you. Out of all the places I said, this is the one you want to go to, okay? What I always like about gelato places is the ones that give you a lot and the ones that have many different flavors available to you. So what you'll find in different gelato places, some will have options for a single flavor, double flavor, right, triple. And then every so often you'll find a place that offers you four flavors. And so when I find a place like that, my heart gets warm inside and I'm a very happy camper. And this place was a place where you could get four flavors. So... I got four flavors. It was 
20, which is really good. A lot of places, I think, will be six euros for three flavors. So the price-wise, it was great. And then the portions were really big as well. So you're getting really great value here. And you're also getting really, really good gelato. So it is definitely a place to go. What did I have there? I had creme brulee gelato, pistachio, mint chip, and then walnut and fig. And a lot of gelato places as well, they'll stick to the traditional flavors that are really popular in Italy. And then you'll find places every so often that have really interesting and unique flavors. And so once again, this was a place. Pretty unique flavors like creme brulee, for example, didn't really see that anywhere else that I had went in Italy. And so I enjoyed that. And then the walnut and fig, that was also pretty unique. I didn't mention this, I don't think, in the Rome or Florence episode. Maybe I did, but I'll mention it again. With gelato, I think a good rule of thumb, if you're going to be trying a lot of gelato places like me, if you're trying to find the best gelato, a good rule of thumb is to eat the same flavors at all the different places, or at least get a couple of the same flavors, and then maybe try a new flavor that you're interested in. And so what the most popular flavors in Italy are pistachio, hazelnut and then i think straciatella is really popular as well so those three are good flavors to get if you happen to like them those are great flavors to get so you can compare the gelato at all the different places that you're gonna go to because you can't really compare gelato if you're getting all these different flavors from different places that's not really a fair assessment of which one is better and so just keep that in mind. You can never go wrong with pistachio. It's to die for everywhere. And then hazelnut as well. For anyone out there that likes Nutella, that's what Nutella is. It's hazelnut. So yes, you cannot go wrong. Go check out Suso Gelato. Oh, I love that place. It was delicious. If I'm being honest, I really do think the food portion of this episode is pretty weak. Just the food in general in Venice, like I said, wasn't that great in my opinion. Maybe I just missed out on places to go, but... If you're going to go anywhere, I would say go to Rosa Pomodoro, go to Del Moro's Fresh Pasta, and then go to that gelato place, and then you can skip the rest if you're just going to want to do whatever whatever floats your boat if you're looking to do some other restaurants on your trip. For the transportation now, what is really unique, as mentioned before, and which is clearly obvious, is that Venice is a city on the water, and so with being a city on the water, what you get is water buses instead of the traditional bus you are probably so used to seeing, and what is awesome about that is you get to go on the water from different areas of Venice, you get to go back and forth between islands, and you get to just take a boat, which I thought was really cool, and then being, you know, on the water with the fresh breeze and the cool air it's just a really nice experience compared to what i was used to taking you know public transportation whether it was buses or trains things like that so to be on the water and do that that was a really cool experience definitely here's what you need to know about transportation so the water taxis are called the vaporettos and when you get to Venice, when you get to the airport, okay, if you're coming from San Marco Airport, and this is where I came from, what you're going to do is you're going to buy a ticket from there, and you're going to take a water bus to Venice, the heart of Venice, okay, and a single ticket, I think, to Venice is 15 euros. If you want a return ticket, it's 27. It's like an hour and 15 minutes or so from the airport to Venice. So keep that in mind. It's not like when you get to the airport, if that's where you're coming from, it's not like you're all of a sudden in Venice. You're still going to need to do a little bit more traveling. When you are finally in Venice, you could pretty much walk everywhere unless you're trying to go to a different island. And then other than that, you're going to take a water bus to get to places. So single tickets for the water bus, it's seven and a half euros. And that's valid for 75 minutes of travel time. Okay. So that means that you could take as many water buses as you want, I believe, within that 75 minute period. Okay. So keep that in mind. Children under six are free. You don't need a ticket for them. One and a half euros for people in a wheelchair. That's interesting. If you want a travel card, and this is what I would recommend, this is what I did, and I don't know, did I really spend that much money on them? Because that's actually a little bit insane if I did. I don't think I did, but travel cards for one day, and that is unlimited use of the water buses. It's 20 euros for a day, two days is 30 euros, three days is 40 euros, and then 
22 euros for the three days if you have a venice rolling card and if i remember correctly i think what a venice rolling card is it is it's basically like the separate thing that you can purchase and then it will reduce the price of that travel card and then it'll also give you other benefits i think for seeing the museums and stuff so i think it's if it's six euros right that's like a little something that Maybe you're going to want to do if you want to reduce the price of the travel card. That might be something worth it, to be honest, because 28 euros versus 40 euros, that's kind of a no brainer. So that's an option for that. And then a travel card for seven days is 60 euros. And I was there for five days. so I really don't remember what I did, but that is a lot of money on transportation. Looking back on it, like I mentioned, you will be able to walk mostly everywhere. I think the best way to go about it is if you could plan out where you're going to go in Venice and what you're going to want to see beforehand, you can kind of calculate whether or not it would be worth it for a travel card. So if you use three single tickets within a day, for example, that's more than 20 euros. So you already would have been better off just buying the travel card for the day for 20 euros. You might even get away, to be honest, your whole trip, you could potentially just walk everywhere. And Venice is small enough to where you can walk anywhere and it's not going to be super hectic or stressful. I think I remember reading that it only takes like an hour tops to go from the one side of Venice all the way to the other, depending on how crowded it is with people. But that's honestly not that bad for an entire city. So that is an option. And then if you walk everywhere and let's say your whole trip, you use three single tickets, you know, that's what 22 and a half euros. So that's really not that bad. And buying a travel card wouldn't be worth it. So that's something you're going to want to research before you go to Venice. Just a couple more tips now before we get to the end of this episode. I don't think Venice is worth going to just by itself. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, it would be nice to take a vacation to Venice for a week. I strongly discourage you from going about it that way. I think Venice is just a place that you go in addition to other cities you're visiting in Italy. So for me, it was I went to Rome for five days. I went to Florence for five days and I ended up going to Venice for five days. I think Venice is a place you want three days max because you're going to be able to see everything relatively quickly, all the things worth seeing, I think at least. Realistically, you can probably see everything in a day, and then if you want to do like a day trip or whatever to Burano or Murano, go to a different island, then that's another day, and then you can just kind of relax. So you really don't need to be there that long, and I think going towards the end of the trip, I was pretty bored, and I just was not really enjoying it. If you are a James Bond fan, and I am a huge James Bond fan, they filmed Casino Royale in Venice at the end of the movie, if you remember the the chase scene with Vesper, when they're in Venice and he's trying to get to her, right? And there's all these different places in Venice. These are all places that you can actually go to there. And I went to three of them, I believe, when... I was there because, once again, being a huge James Bond fan. So I got like photos standing in the places where he's at in the movie and like looking across to where he is looking at Vesper, like all these different scenes. So I thought that was pretty cool. Just look up James Bond film locations in Venice and you'll find the places and then you'll be able to go yourself. Loved that. This next tip, you want to pay attention to this. Like, please, 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 if you're going to listen to anything that I tell you, listen to this one because it will save you a ton of money. I did not do a gondola ride, which was really unfortunate. I think that's like the bucket list item, right? When you go to Venice is like going on the gondolas and going through the canals. That's a really cool, unique thing to do. And I didn't do it because I just did, I did not want to pay for how much it was. It was 80 to 100 euros per person, okay? Not even just for the whole group. It was per person. It was that expensive to do a gondola ride and I just could not stomach spending that much money on a gondola. I get it, YOLO, right? You freaking will never come back to Venice. This could be your only opportunity. You've wanted to do it your whole life, ride the gondola, right? I couldn't bring myself to spend that much money for a gondola ride. What I found out when it was too late was that you can actually book gondola rides online and they're way, way, way cheaper than doing it in person. So I just looked today and I found a few different websites that were offering gondola rides for 45 to 50 US dollars. So that's 
literally less than half the price and see if I knew that I probably would have done that. Is that, that's still pretty expensive. That's the most money you're going to spend on an activity in all of Venice. None of the museums are going to cost you that much. So that's just something I think you should do if you can find it for 40 to $50. I think it is worth doing definitely because that is a very unique experience. And I think that's also per person. So keep that in mind. The next tip, they have a museum pass and there's a lot of freaking museums in Venice. And I would say most of the museums are absolutely not worth going to. The only museums I really would go to are the ones that I mentioned, the places to see. The ones that I said that you should skip are ones that were included in the museum pass. So it was nice because you got to go to those museums. You didn't have to pay anything for them, right? Because it was all included in this museum pass. But I don't necessarily think you need to get the museum pass. Maybe look into it and see what's included. Like I said, there are so many museums included in it, but a lot of them you're really not gonna wanna go to. One thing that really bothered me too was when I went to that Palazzo Fortuni that I was talking about, that place was not included in the museum pass. So that really bummed me out and I had to pay the eight euros. So I paid eight euros to go to a crappy museum where there wasn't really much to see. And that really just, that really infuriated me. So keep that in mind. If you're thinking Palazzo Vertuni, that is not included in the museum pass. So you'll have to pay separately. Otherwise, definitely look up the museum pass in Venice. If it's something you're interested in, maybe you want to do it. And those are all of the additional tips I have. As far as what I liked, what I didn't like, I'm being completely honest. There wasn't much that I liked. <laughs> I liked the fact that I got to go to a city that is so unique that it was a city on the water and just walking around the fresh air, all of that was a nice experience. I will say if I was there for maybe two or three days, I think I probably would have thought a lot more highly of the experience. One thing I really, really loved was the hostel I stayed at. It's probably my favorite hostel that I stayed at in all of the countries that I visited. If you are looking to stay in a hostel, it's called Generator Hostel. It's super close to Venice as well. You are going to have to take a water bus back and forth because it is on a different island. So that is something to consider if you don't want to necessarily buy a travel pass for the water buses. But I love this hostel. It was super clean. It was huge. It was nice. They had a bar on the ground level and it was very nice and then they had a bunch of just seating it almost looked like a restaurant and then they had kitchens too and you could order food whenever you wanted the food wasn't anything special but if you are just looking for a snack they have french fries they have burgers pasta sodas all these different things so that's an option if you're hungry they have the bar and there's just a lot of people you know like out and about talking it was a very nice place to meet people and then I liked just working down there. I would go on my computer and like edit photos and like post stuff to Instagram when I was working on all that stuff. I'd like just be in the downstairs, like near the bar and like the, all the seating and just there's like fireplaces and couches and it's just a really nice place. I think it's an old, I want to say it's like an old shipping container that they turned into a hostel maybe, but yeah, it was, it was really, really, really awesome. Definitely have fond memories of staying there. What I didn't like about Venice, oh, what didn't I like? So food was underwhelming. I thought it was way too crowded. And that is something that is becoming more and more of a problem. I read today that I think it's 25 to 30 million people that are going to visit Venice this next year, which is insane. Venice is a very popular destination, as you can imagine, because of how unique it is as a city. And so getting around is really hard. There's a lot of very narrow streets in Venice. So moving around can be difficult. St. Mark's Square is super crowded as well, not just with the pigeons, but with a lot of people. So it's hard to maneuver around there. There's only 83,000 inhabitants of Venice, actually. So it is kind of sad, to be honest, because take not even to consider whether or not it's going to be a, a place that you can actually visit in, you know, like 100 years or whatever. But it's been so negatively affected by tourism because there's just so many people that visit there. All the residents are moving out of it because they don't like how many tourists there are. So there's not that many people that live there. And then also a lot of these travel websites or places like Airbnb, they're all buying up places in Venice because of how big of a tourist destination it is. So there's a lot of buildings that people are having to move out of because companies are coming in to, you know, like buy them and then have them for Airbnbs or like hotels and stuff like that. So it's just 
unfortunate what's happening with all the tourists and it is a place that's seriously been impacted by tourism so that kind of sucked about it as well i didn't like the pigeons of course that was weird having to watch out for pigeons i thought it was pretty boring once you get over the fact that you're in a city that's floating on water once you get over that fact and you kind of you know see everything and you're walking around then you then you're just like this is kind of boring there's not really anything to do there's not much to see once you like i said that's why you want to be there two or three days because after that third day you're kind of just like why am i here because you've seen everything at that point and you can't really walk around much and do much anymore i guess if you're with friends maybe it's different i was alone so that could be a factor but i just yeah i just really at that point it was just kind of boring and there wasn't much to do so i i would say venice definitely was the worst place i went in italy i only went to three places but that was my least favorite and like i mentioned i would go there if you're gonna go to other cities don't just go to venice because i promise you you'll regret it so That is everything on Venice. If you have any questions about a trip, if you want to know anything else, my Instagram is Hancock. if you want to message me, or my email is gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe, leave a review for the podcast. That would be super helpful. I hope everyone has a great week. As far as the future of this podcast goes, I've said it a few times in the past, but I'm seriously serious. I'm seriously, seriously, serious about this. I'm going to start having, I think I've decided, I'm going to try and start getting people on the podcast to interview because as I've been doing this travel stuff, most of these episodes have been travel, but really, if you've been listening to this a long time, what you know about this podcast is it's supposed to be a resource for people in the future to where they can, you know, follow along and like learn about my journey to where I started to where I eventually end up hopefully with what I want to do with like content creation and like podcasting and all that stuff. But I also thought it would be helpful going off the idea of the podcast name, right? Rookie Mistakes, I think to interview people and it'll probably heavily be focused on content creators because that's what I want to do. But eventually I think it'll expand more into just general people, but to like get their stories of like, this is where they started. What did you learn? What did you struggle with? What are you struggling with now? Did you ever think you'd get there, right? All these different things. I think that would be invaluable to people looking to do something, whether that is content creation, whether it's, you know, sports, whatever it may be. It could even just be whatever, maybe the job you're working now, right? Just learning successful habits or maybe some tips that can help you progress in your career. I think that would be helpful. And so I think in the future, pretty soon, I I don't know, I have to try it out to see how it works with recording a conversation with someone online. The quality is probably not going to be as good on their end, which I'm a little hesitant about. But I think eventually what's going to happen is there'll be two episodes a week. It'll be one episode of me kind of just talking about whatever I want, probably, you know, my experiences with whatever I'm doing, like what I'm learning, what's helped, maybe even reflecting on the conversation I had with the person for the week. And then the second episode of the week will be the actual conversation with whoever I'm interviewing. So that should be coming. Look out for that. I think that'll definitely be more appealing to people. And then as I'm transitioning out of all these travel things, maybe we'll even have some travel people on, right? Some people that are really expert travelers that have been all over the world. There are a few people I follow on Instagram that I would love to interview one day. That would be awesome to get their take. So if you are a person that really likes hearing about all the travel stuff, that will be something that will continue as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.